2: You are listening to absent-minded brought to you by Habs eyes on the prizecom
3: hello and welcome to another episode of absent minded this time uh Patrick Vexel here, uh, and I'm joined by, of course, Jared Book and Anton Rossigold. Hello, guys.
2: Hello, hello. Uh,
3: how are you all guys doing?
0: Fantastic. Stanley Cup Finals, baby. Yeah.
2: Stanley Cup it. Finals. Still, still weird. Still weird. Not gonna Indeed, lie.
0: Indeed, it is. <laughs> are, uh, you hungover, Jared, are you hungover,
2: Jared? Are you hungover? I'm not. I'm not hungover. Uh, I was. I was. I. I haven't got much sleep though, but no. that's mostly just because uh, I'm the busy. riots. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, I. I did hear fireworks. I did hear fireworks uh, after game six, but uh, no, it's. It's. I'm not downtown. It's not that bad, but it, it's just a lot of work. Lot. Lot of. I, I was uh, going to say,
3: are you hungover, Anton, because of midsummer?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I prefer not to answer that question because I want to seem professional. <laughs> Uh, Two days later, yeah? Yeah. yeah. All
3: right. Um, Some serious to start this podcast up. Um, First, uh, we, we are all aware what's going on. It seems like the Blackhawks and the NHL are trying to sweep this under the rug and not being very open, not speaking about it. It seems like some insiders are not doing it as well. But on the other hand, there are a lot of reporting. I will have to say that The Athletic is is doing some great reporting, uh, but also the fact that some of the Chicago papers is digging very, very hard along with TSN into the situation that what happened in 2010 with the Chicago Blackhawks and a video coach that sexually assaulted two players and then left the organization, but has gotten a positive review from the organization in order to apply to other jobs. Uh, It's a serious situation. It's something that should not be swept under the rug. And um, our guest from last night had a lot to say about it. And I think it's very important to to listen to what Matt Estevez from from Raw Charge said about it. So we're gonna start with that.
1: But the league in general is trying to hide from this sexual assault case in Chicago. It's something that all of us, no matter our allegiance to what team, we need to keep our nose to the ground and keep bringing it up and keep trying to hold the league accountable because what that situation is is disgusting. It's an abuse of power, and it's people both in Chicago and the league enabling. So we need to keep diligent on keeping that in the news. We need to keep retweeting. We need to keep talking about it because the league is going to want the Stanley Cup final to be – the big thing obfuscating everything and we cannot allow them to do that. We cannot allow them to sit here and just normalize sexual assault in any way, shape, or form. Okay. And we can't normalize it by thinking, oh, how could a professional player let some guy who's like my size, you know, because I'm like five, eight, hundred and sixty pounds, you know, sexually um, assault them, completely ignoring the entire facet of what that entire dynamic is about. It's about power or anything else. So we need to stay on top of that.
3: I think matt really really says it quite well and someone else that said it quite well in regards to montreal is uh, the active stick uh part of the locked on crew with with scott matla and and she phrased this so much better than i could ever had and i'm just going to read her twitter um, thread straight through and 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 that then we can all discuss it or, or we three can discuss it and you will have to make up your mind if you want to fast forward or if you want to If you want to listen to it uh two things can be true at the same time you can want mark bergevin thoroughly investigated and held accountable for any role in covering this up and also be a habs fan he has denied knowledge of what happened but the player says everyone knew about it while mark bergevin assertion is that he wasn't at the management meeting is easily corroborated uh, it's hard to believe that he was the director of player personnel at the time, and he didn't know if anyone else did know. Wanting accountability doesn't make you less of a Habs fan. I hope the lawyer is successful and get this all uh, and gets all the records. And I hope that everyone in the front office at the time, including Mark Bergevin, is held to account. We should all want that for GMs uh, of the team that we love. We want them to be. Uh, we want them to be environments where crimes are reported and not covered up. Also, yes, it was 11 years ago on another team, but everyone who was in the front office at the time should be investigated and held accountable. Even the GM of the team that we are fans of. He doesn't seem to get, he doesn't get absolved because we are happy the team is bu- he has built is in the final. Whatever happens, it's not okay to constantly be, be like But Bergevin, but Bergevin, because you're bitter about the haves. It's even worse to reply with, but Dubas did worse, but Dubas Dubas did worse. That is just disgusting. Everyone, including the victims, can see your motives. None of these allegations have been proven in court. None of us definitely know what covers up happened. But as hockey fans, we should all want an investigation anytime this happens. And we should all want hockey culture to change for the better. This is Laura, the active stick on Twitter. It's her thread. And I think she phrased it a lot better than I could ever do. And uh, if I'd made any mistakes when, when, when I read this, uh, it's, it's on my behalf. It's my problem, my mistake. It's not something that Laura has made. You should definitely follow Laura, obviously, because her hockey takes is great. And her, her life, life takes is also very well received, at least on my behalf. But, but yeah... Guys, what are your reactions to this?
2: I think that the whole situation speaks to the hockey culture that people want to get out of the game, plain and simple. I don't think that there's anybody who thinks that it's okay. And a lot has changed even in the last 11 years. And... I think that hockey culture has changed in the last 11 years. And I think that what was the world has changed in, in, in less than the last 11 years. So I I think that Laura did say it. Well, I don't think that this, whatever Bergevin was involved in, in Chicago, you want him to be responsible for, for what he did. If he did anything, we don't know if, if he did, if he was part of meetings or if, if he knew and didn't, say anything or if he did know but it wasn't his call or he found out after it was already reported we don't know and i'm sure that it'll come out uh you know in in the weeks or months that that come but at the same time i I don't think that you should want mark bergevin to get away with it just because he's the general manager of montreal canadians and if something happens where he was responsible or if he didn't do the proper thing at the time. I don't think that that takes away from what this team is doing right now either. So you can enjoy the Canadians in this down cup final and still want justice for the victim in this case. And that's who we should be thinking about here. So, yeah, I, I think that Laura said it very well is that th- there's two things that can be true at the same time. And that that's, that's how I think, I think that's even how Chicago fans are, are thinking about this, right? I mean, they, you know, this distracts from, you know, them winning the Stanley Cup, but at the same time, it, you know, someone on that team dealt with something that that you never want anybody to deal with. So I, I, I think that, yeah, you know, it's something that you do want to have justice for and and the truth to come out, whatever that truth is.
3: Indeed. And I think Katie Strang on, of The Athletics, she, she phrased a question today where she asked Mark Benjamin about it. And uh, you're going to listen to that question and, and what Mark Benjamin answered in, in this case uh, right now.
2: Mark, in your role with Chicago in 2010, what, if anything, did you know about the sexual assault allegations against Brad Aldrich? Uh, well, it, it came out uh, recently. Uh, there was meeting that I've heard that was uh, done uh, in in Chicago. I was not part of any meeting, and I was not part of any decision uh, based on that. And as not, I was not aware of what was going on at the time. So uh, you could go on the record with that.
3: And um, Mark Brashman seems quite. Um firm in his assertion that that he wasn't part of the cover-up it's difficult to phrase and and understand and obviously he wants to shift the focus as does the Blackhawks and and, and NHL in general to the Stanley Cup finals of course but I think it's important that the questions are being asked I I think it's important that uh, whatever comes out of this needs to be dealt with even if it's Strikes against Mark Bergevin and the Montreal Canadiens, or, or not? Maybe Montreal Canadiens because they weren't aware what happened at that point. But if if it gets against Mark Bergevin, he asserts that that we can take that to the bank, more or less, that he wasn't part of it. But the truth will come out. The more we dig, and, and as I said, the Athletic, TSN, uh, the Chicago Sun or Times—I'm I'm unsure which one it is. Uh, has done a good job so far and it doesn't seem like they will be able to cover this up much longer.
0: Yeah, it's just, uh, if if we look at Bergman's role in in all this, like, uh, people tend to look at everything in life in regards to either it's black or it's white. Um, As you both said, you can appreciate what Bergman has been doing in Montreal, especially for the last few years, but there are always things we have done uh in our past that we may be less proud of and we don't know if Bergman knew about this but if he was the director of player personnel at the time it's highly unlikely that he didn't hear anything about it um so I I don't know anything about really what's been going on I haven't read up on it very much either um but there is a gray zone in in this, of course, and uh, it's also difficult. Like when you're put on the spot, as Bergman was uh, when asked that question. Of course, we always want people to be accountable and say the truth um, as soon as they get it. It's difficult to know uh, because when you get that direct question and you realize that your whole career may be in jeopardy, people tend to fight with whatever they have to stay where they are where they fought to be for the last 20 30 years and if you have to sweep someone else under the rug or if you have to like kick someone else yeah that's the difficult part because like there are so many people who have reached top level positions by doing things that they may not be proud of and once those things come out the skeletons from the closet yeah uh you can fall a long way down again and have to start over even further down than you then you started before like when you were actually a rookie um as i said i don't know anything about Bergman's role in all of this i don't know what the blackhawks knew or didn't know i just know that it's um it's appalling uh that players have to go th- through situations like this whether it's racial slurs as was the discussion, I think it was in Calgary, right. Um, a year ago or so, um, or, you know, actually sexual being sexually assaulted. Uh, that is something that doesn't belong in athletics and it doesn't belong in life. And, uh, especially when you have this kind of situation where you, when you are the coach, you are someone who has a, a senior position, um, and you use that senior position to your advantage, um, that's appalling, and uh, it needs to go away from athletics as soon as possible.
3: We, we are not gonna let this go. Uh, we're gonna let it go right now from, from from this podcast, but it's something that we obviously are gonna keep an eye on. It's something that we're not gonna sweep under the rug because we think this is important. And we think it's, it's something that we as a society needs to make sure doesn't happen again, And now Gallagher, through the centre zone for Montreal, Dano sneaks in, the pass across, they score! Arturi Lekkonen wins it in overtime, and for the first time in 28 years, the Montreal Canadiens are on their way to the Stanley Cup final! A couple of weeks ago, uh, I just watched Steve Dangle um, um, I had a game with Steve Dangle and check the the uh, the recording of the Leckon and goal, obviously, and uh, fantastic for me who has followed Leckon since his arrival in Florida. Uh, but also uh, in in regards to the fact that uh, it seems like Steve Dangle is the the uh, the egg that we all need to polish a little bit because he is the lucky charm for the Montreal Canadians, uh, but. But really, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting to see maybe how, how a couple of weeks ago we were looking at Mark Berngevin losing in 4 1 in games to, to the Toronto Maple Leafs and getting fired. And here we are, he's been um, up there with GM of the Year. He didn't get that award, obviously, but he was nominated. He was the second one. He got most top uh, picks, but he wasn't all the way through in, in in the rankings from the other GMs. But it's it's very very interesting. It's a situation that has come up that that is really really weird for Mark Benjamin to go from a villain to to an to a hero more or less in a couple of
0: weeks. I want to say quickly there. <clears throat> I feel like on this podcast we've been quite affirmative of uh, Bergevin's process this year. Uh, from the start, we've said that basically he has done everything that we wanted him to do at the end of last year. He has brought in more size. He has brought in a reliable backup goaltender, which was necessary when Carey Price went down. He has brought in more depth, more uh, uh, more experienced players up front, uh, and he has brought in the uh, the young ones in, in a comfortable environment. We see what Joel Bouchard has done with and just the youth system in general uh so i was maybe i've been very fond of Bergman's work for the last few years and that would have remained even if montreal would have gone out for one in games uh against toronto now of course um things went a little differently but as was the case when we're talking about the former subject everything tends to be black and white when it's regularly it's somewhere in the middle and Bergevin's process and the way he went about his work also when hiring uh, Dominique Duchamp as the interim head coach it's the same there a few weeks ago people if Montreal went out for one against Toronto people would have Shouted for Ducharme's um, resignation, basically, or that he wouldn't get a, a new extension. Now everyone is calling for him to stay on. People are even calling for maybe Luke Richardson to get um, a head coaching uh, chance in the NHL. I've heard that from several um, several locations, and we've been not very fond of Luke Richardson's job before, but he's done great now for these couple of games as a he- as an interim interim head coach. So, yeah. Um, as always, it's very polarizing uh, following the Montreal Canadiens. Everything is either um, very, very high or very low. Uh, the truth is somewhere in the middle.
2: Yeah, I, I think it was Patrick Waugh who said, uh, in, in Montreal, you're either a sinner or a saint and there is no in between. And, mm. and, that's, and that's that's pretty much the last couple of, last month or so of, of the Montreal Canadiens, right? I, I mean, people go from, uh, being at the the bottom of the bottom to the top of the top, and and it's it's kind of remarkable how much things have changed, and it it, it is funny that you know process is good, right? Like following a process is what got Mark Bergevin, you know, to keep his job basically, right? In, in his general manager of the Canadians, is that he was building something, and you can see the plan develop, and. At a certain point, that process is all good and great, but at a certain point, you just need results. And he wasn't getting them. And you can see the same thing about Dominic Ducharme or Claude Julien before him, it, it, is that the team was, was playing well. They, they were having good underlying numbers. Everything was going in a good direction, but they just weren't winning. And at a certain point, you need results. And that's what they're doing now. Now they're getting those results. And, and it's not that you are judging Mark Bergevin or Dominic Ducharme or this team based on just results. We've known the process has been good, but you can't just look at the process and be like, yeah, whatever. Who cares if we're not winning? You eventually you need results. And, and that's what Mark Bergevin and Dominic Ducharme are getting from this team and the team deserves credit for that as well. So it's not, it's not just, Oh, they were bad and now they're good. So everybody keeps their job. It's how they're doing it. They're, they're winning the way that this team was built to win. Yeah. You know, you, you put, you put $14 million into goaltending. You want your goaltending to be good. You put, you know, you, you have a a top four defense. You want that top four defense to, Play 25 minutes a game. You, you put, you know, you have a guy like Philip Deneau or Nick Suzuki or Jesperi kenyemi or Cole Caulfield. You, know, you get Eric Stahl, you get Corey Perry. You want these guys to perform at playoff time. And that's what they're doing. It, this team is winning the way it was built to win. The question we had was whether it would work. And it is. So they deserve credit for that.
3: Indeed, they do. And, and, uh, uh, one thing that I'm very impressed of is how he has molded these lines and, and playing Cole Cowfield in, in first and foremost, picking up Cole Cowfield and then making sure that you play him, um, as Jack Han pointed out uh, ages ago in an article of Amsterdam, Eyes on the Price, uh, to succeed. You give him the chance to succeed. And, and I cannot think, stop, or I cannot stop thinking about that move that Cole Cowfield does for the 2-1 the goal in, yeah, Bray, in the last Bray. game.
0: Yeah, against Brayden McNabb, yeah.
3: Yeah, where he just flips, I mean, like, stares the puck, instead of spe- staring it on the ice, he flips it in some way over the stick of McNabb, who's then outpaced and, and can't reach him. If he drags him down, he knows it's a power play, and he probably should have. And then, obviously, <laughs> uh, Robin Lehner is from Gothenburg and, and, and everything, but... You know, going out and say, "Yeah, I know he was gonna go five hole or up." So I'm just like, I close the five hole, and then Cowfield going like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you what I can do," and, and yeah. score with with ease on the <laughs> club side as well. So, so yeah, super impressed with Cole Cowfield. First and foremost, with, with Mark Bergevin and the coaching team to playing him in a role where he can succeed, and and for Cole Cowfield to succeed in that way. Has impressed me so much
0: I think it's been beneficial as well for Cole Caulfield in this case I think it's beneficial for him being 5'7 because since he is as slender built as uh, you know as short as he is you can't really put him in a bottom six role so even if he was because let's say he was 6'5 And coming up with uh, similar numbers and uh, was a Hobie Baker Award winner. But you could still see him, you know, taking a kind of Josh Anderson-like power style role coming in. And you just like, maybe would have put him in that kind of role to start off his NHL career then. Show off your defensive ability. Like we've seen, you know, we can't compare the talent level of... A Jake Evans, for example, uh, and a Cole Caulfield. Uh, one was drafted in the seventh round. It took him five, six years to reach the NHL. Cole Caulfield is the first round pick. He's the best junior scorer uh, in U.S. national team development history. But um, I think it's just beneficial because you know this guy can provide offense. He can provide you goals, and he can provide you power uh, with power play, um, power play uh, ability. So you just put him in that role because if you don't. It's just going to be um, – well, he, he's not going to provide the spark that you need for this team, especially with the Canadians team that was lacking in goal scoring. So I'm saying that I, I'm not taking anything away from the coaching staff from putting him in a situation to succeed, and I'm really happy to see the chemistry he uh, is developing with Nick Suzuki. But I'm thinking, like, it was kind of a given. You had to put him in this role. Otherwise, he would have just had to stay in the AHL.
2: Yeah, I think that the key thing with Caulfield is he's he's able to just take a play and score lightning quick. Like he doesn't need a lot of chances to to score, and that's something that this Canadians team hasn't had in in years, maybe even since you know the seventies, honestly, or eighties, I guess. But it's just what he can bring to a team is exactly what that game six goal was, is that he, he can just, you know, a, a long pass from from Joel Edmondson and he puts it on a stick and he gets a breakaway out of it. And that's, you need you need plays like that. You can't always, def, you know, count on getting, you know, cycle goals and, and, and stuff like that. You, you need to eventually get, you know, game breakers and, and plays like that. And we've seen, you know, Nick Suzuki do that. And I mean, just look at the look at the overtime goal against Toronto in game five, right? It it wasn't just that there was a two on O. It was that Caulfield made that play out of nothing and got it to to go into the net, right? Like it's one of those things where he allows this team to play the style that they play because this team knows that with Carey Price behind them, that they can play to shut down the other team and it frees up the, the no line to play defensively and not have to worry about goals. They're, they're still going to get them, you know, game in six overtime. and overtime. Yep. Yeah, game six and overtime is a good example of that, but I think that they're going to have get goals in this Stanley Cup final because as you can see that they're starting to get chances and, and more and more chances. So I, I think that the offense will come from that line, but it takes the pressure off of them. And and I think that that's something that is is key. And look look at the teams they beat in the playoffs so far. Toronto, what was the big issue? Other than William really Nylander, they weren't getting scoring. Look at you know Winnipeg. They didn't get scoring from really anybody except for like Logan Stanley. And, and then and then look at and, and then look at Vegas. And what was the thing with Vegas? Is that they weren't getting scoring from their forwards. Mm. And 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 that all of that is a byproduct of what this team is trying to do. You know, teams are going to try and shut down Montreal's scoring. But the key about Montreal is that if you shut down the Dano line, like Vegas was content, I think, or maybe it wasn't by design, but it ended up being before the series against Vegas. If I would have told you that the Dano line and the stone line would cancel each other out for 20 minutes a game, you would probably take that. As either a fan of Vegas or a fan of Montreal, the question what would be, is what line would do the scoring? Would it be the Marshall smith Carlson line, or would it be the Suzuki to Foley Caulfield line? And what we saw was that it was the Smith, uh, sorry, the, the Suzuki Caulfield to Foley line. And even if you shut down that line, so if you focus on that line, then the Anderson Knyrim Byron line can score the Perry. Stahl Armia line can still can score. So, what four lines is such a big part of this Montreal team, and Caulfield really makes the four lines work, especially and, in the absence of Jonathan Drouin. Because yeah, in the bubble say. in the bubble last year, Jonathan Drouin, Nick Suzuki, and, and Joel Armia, Armia had that role, right? Mm-hmm. So, now it's even taking up a level because Tafoli is, is a better player, Caulfield is a better player. Uh, and, and playing better so and Suzuki is better than he was a year ago as well so all of that put together is, is what making this this Montreal team go and and Caulfield Caulfield's game-breaking ability is is a huge reason behind this Montreal team success
0: yeah I was just going to say about that uh, as you said about the stone line and the deno line canceling each other out uh, the problem for Vegas, of course, is that they're paying a lot more for the stone line than Montreal is currently doing for their Deno line, which means that you can focus on the other lines as well. You can focus on having, uh, you know, uh, four, uh, defensemen who can play top four minutes, uh, 20, 25 minutes per game. You can focus on having, a, uh, um, you know, experience and they have, they have a, is it 5.5 million, um, on Josh Anderson for what was it? Seven years. Um, And you can have him on your third line because um, you have that cap space availability, uh, especially with the rookies now as well. While Vegas is just they are tied up in a few players, they are more top heavy. And we've seen that from every team uh, Montreal have faced in, in these playoffs. And that's that's been what we've said all along. If Carey Price reaches the levels we know that he has in him, if um we get to the playoffs if then everything is going to show because there is so much depth in this team compared to other teams that would be Montreal's advantage compared to other teams that are top heavy if you uh, don't get scoring from one or two lines you can get scoring from the third or the fourth line um and it's just all come together and i'm just just thinking like as well if you look back at the regular season if this was the plan all along to play this kind of this brand of hockey When you didn't get that stellar goaltending play from Carey Price, you started tweaking things, and you started like you started started maybe getting a bit insecure about how to play your penalty kill, for example. Uh, You started getting into the lane of Carey Price because you wanted to help him, but really you just uh, made everything more difficult for him. Now that they're just like they were backed up against the wall, and they just had to rely on Carey, and Carey just. Has been what we hoped that he would be when he signed the 10.5 million contract.
3: Indeed, and and uh, there is um, a lot of things that has gone right uh, during these playouts. But one thing that ha- seems to have gone a little bit wrong is is obviously the COVID situation. We just um, heard that Joel Armia is in isolation and and observing COVID protocol again. It, again as uh, let's be honest with that again and uh, he was out with covid in march i think it was and now he's observing the covid protocol again after what we must assume is um, after having been vaccinated twice as well Um, we don't know if this is a false positive if this is uh, something else uh, if he has an infection but doesn't show any symptoms, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this will hamper the situation a little bit against uh, Tampa. It does seem like uh, Evans is going to go in on his line. You would assume that because he's the closest to the team. Uh, are there really any other options, Jared, that you could think of that, that you would put in Armia's role?
2: Tatar. <laughs> I, 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 Yes and no. And the reason I say yes is that obviously Jake Evans deserves to be in the lineup. If, if there's a space at forward, I think that much is clear. The issue is, is that Evan's game is all about speed, which is not the game that Corey Perry and Eric Stahl play. And that's what made Armia such a, a good fit on that line. So, you know, it's possible that Armia could, can travel, you know, if if he you know if it comes back that it's a false positive we don't know that at this point, but if he doesn't play, I wonder if you put Evans back with Dano and Gallagher, and then you put Leckin in on the line with with Stalin and Perry, just because you know you look at that relentless kind of pressure and, and I don't know that Evans would be suited for that line necessarily so yeah it, it it is a puzzle because the pieces were were fitting in so nicely it's it it's unfortunate obviously we hope that yol is is fine and and there's there's no issues health wise for him but at the same time yeah it, it kind of i i do wonder if tatar can be an option as well because you know he might be able to put some life into that line as well, played a similar role to, to Armia. So yeah, there, there's a lot of question marks and Evans definitely deserves to be in the lineup. I just don't know if his game fits what they would need him to do. So that's where you might see somebody else in that spot. If, if Armia can't go.
0: Is there really any other choice besides Tatar and
2: uh, Evans? I, I guess you can kind of go Michael for leak or Alex Belzil. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, they're, they're with the team. They're, they're still around. Yeah. uh maybe Frolic could fit in I mean he played well didn't he play with Stalin Perry in uh, in the, the that, final games of the season that is
0: one old line
2: Well that, that was the whole joke right at the time yeah. when, and, and they were we called them the AstraZeneca line I think um yeah. when, when they were in the lineup but I, I think that you know maybe that that's that's the direction they go in um that that could work as well. And again, it sucks for Jake Evans because, like I said, he deserves to be in the lineup. But I think you're looking at people who can bring out the best in, in Eric Stahl and Corey Perry, and I'm not sure if Evans is that that person. But, yeah, they do have options. At least they have options. You know, any one of those guys uh, can fit in and have played in, in playoff games and have played in in, uh, in for least places, won the Stanley Cup. So uh, it, it's definitely lots of options out there. So it'll be interesting to see what direction they go in. I want to give big,
0: big props to uh, Philip Dano and and Brendan Gallagher for that matter. But Philip Dano is still the center and uh, the glue that holds that line together. Because I remember last year and, and a portion of this year when we were just assuming that everything came down to the chemistry between uh, Brendan Gallagher, Philippe Dano uh, and Thomas Tatar um, and how well they were performing together. But now we've seen when Tatar has been taken off, possibly because uh, or or probably because he's not going to resign. Um, and we've seen other plays coming in. First, we saw Jake Evans just thrive on that line with his speed and just, uh, you know, he's not even a, a proper left wing. He's uh, he's a center, really. But, but when he plays with those two, he can just yeah he just thrives in in a big role really um and then when he gets um head checked by mark Scheifele, arturi Lekkonen comes in um almost from the grave but he comes from like the bottom six and he thrives as well um we know that Lekkonen is responsibly responsibly sound forward defensively but it just it's just interesting to see how much Dano does that probably like my hockey eye can't see uh but just how they perform Against all these more, yeah, more uh, heralded lines around the league, um, how they can shut down line after line, uh, no matter if they are facing Toronto, Winnipeg, or um, as we saw now, the Vegas Golden Knights. So, big props to Philip Dano, and uh, I hope that he won't demand too much, uh, too much money, uh, and that Montreal can resign him.
2: It's, it's funny because you know a few months ago we were talking about. How much money has Philip Deneau cost himself? Yeah, and now we're talking about how much money has he made himself? Yeah. So, so it's 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 funny because I, I was uh, listening to the to the Steve Dangle podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe even a couple of days ago. I don't know. Time time is a construct now, but they were saying that there's no real comparable to Philip Deneau. and you know it's kind of weird that you'd pay a guy, you know, seven million dollars to score 12 goals, and you'll be happy with that because he shuts down the other team so much, so well so it, it'll be very interesting but I I, I don't think he's necessary I, I think that a lot depends on maybe the result of the series but I would be surprised if, if Philip Dano is not a Montreal Canadian going forward uh, what that price tag will be I don't know but I, I would surprise me if, if he does go elsewhere
0: he won't get as good of a good pizza anywhere else
1: so we well, have I mean that's
2: that. the pitch, right? You know, yeah. maybe maybe free give them pizza. free pizza for life. Yeah, exactly. A lower cap hit, but but free pizza. So maybe maybe uh, I, I don't know. if they, That might be caps or convention, but they are playing the lightning. So <laughs>
3: we we have Dano and uh, back to what we all have been saying for for quite some time with the Danau line. It's really that it, it, it's more and more that is a one A, B, and C line because they got different roles. They fulfill different roles, and the Dano line. They are fantastic at shutting down that first line of the opponent, and the other lines can, can benefit from that. And what we have seen is really the depth with the line with Armia Stoll and, and Perry that has taken the other fourth line uh, <laughs> out for a big ride. And, and they haven't been able to keep up. They are playing the circle down low, they're giving, they're, they're creating chances, and they're getting some goals as well. And I think this is really has really shown the value of depth, and, and we can. It's it's a question for another podcast, I think. But looking at it, you cannot really have a team of galacticos like Real in football, uh, as we have seen with Toronto in a way, uh, where you spend so much money on forward, so you forget the the back end of, of the ice, and uh, I think really. It might really be that we have joked about, we roll four lines. We have heard from Europe a lot, a lot of times that you know, you're know you trying to build four lines um, over the time uh, and, and play them as equal as possible in order to, to outman over the fourth line. Uh, something that Frölde has done, something that Beckhoi has done, something that uh, uh, other successful teams has done. But also we have to, we have to mention, that fantastic trade that got uh, Dano to Montreal, the, the, the trade with Chicago Blackhawks that that he fleeced them. Uh, obviously, Dano wasn't really that big of a player. I think he was on the third line or fourth line in, in, in Blackhawks at the time. Uh, but he got Dano and a second round pick that turned into Romanov uh, for Fleischmann and Wiese. Yeah, I mean, like, this, this, that, that's an incredible trade. It has to be arguably the best trade that Mark Brechtman has done, and I'm comparing that to the, the yeah. Patzeredi Suzuki yeah, trade. I was going to say it, it's getting
0: of- difficult because he's made quite a few good trades now.
2: I mean, even even the, the Shea Weber trade. I mean, it, it it was. I'm not saying that it was better than those ones, but would this team be where they are without Shea Weber? And I'm not talking about on the ice. I'm talking more about just in the room. Because it seems like everybody takes their their line from from Shea Weber, and and oftentimes, you know, you need somebody to to kind of, you know, start start the make the tracks that everyone else follows, and and then obviously he helps on the ice as well. He's part of that that big four defense, but uh, it just seems that the the question we always knew what Mark Bergson was trying to do. The big question was would it work? And the answer seems to be, yeah, I guess, <laughs> but you know, it, it's kind of weird because at the same time, like even with where they are right now, there's like a chance that next season, they, they would struggle to make the playoffs. Yeah. and You know, I mean, look at Dallas, right. Dallas was a good example of that as well, where, they missed a play. Obviously they had a schedule thing and the whole this whole year was weird, but I mean, you look at them going into a division where they're going to be playing Boston and Toronto and Tampa and Florida who all finished ahead of them this year. Mm-hmm. So where, where, where do they fit into that? So, you know, there are things that will go in their favor next year, obviously, you know, and there's still a whole offseason to go, but it is, it is a kind of weird place for them to be in because I feel like even if they, even if they beat Tampa, which is still an, a big if at this point, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of people still believing in this team going forward. Even, even in Montreal, even in Montreal, because I, I think that they've given a blueprint, but I, I still think that there's question marks. And and you know that this team we've talked about it all year, this team is not perfect, and no team is, but. You know, I I wonder how the pieces do fit in next year when, you know, the free agents leave or, and and things like that. The expansion draft is obviously that. So you're going to lose some pieces uh, from this team and it'll be interesting to see, but, but obviously the core Mm -hmm. is a core that, that can continue. And, and, and like you mentioned, Patrick, I mean, it's possible that Montefiore is not even a general manager of this team, which, you know, a month ago we would have been like, okay, yeah, I can see a future of Mark Bergevin as GM, but now we're looking at Stanley cup finalists, Montreal Canadians and still a new GM. So a lot of, a lot of balls in the air. And, and right now the key thing is, is just, you know, folk Corey Perry and talked about this on, on Saturday where, you know, he hadn't been to a Stanley cup final up until last year since 2007. Eric Stahl hasn't been back to a Stanley Cup final since he won in 2006. Mm. Only two players have gone 14 or more years between Stanley Cup wins. Yeah. And and they can double that this, this year. So you can't assume, look, Shea Weber is in year, what, 15 of his career? Yeah. He has never made the third round. Never mind the Stanley Cup final. Carey Price has never made the Stanley Cup final. Jeff Petrie, Brendan Gallagher, you know, we're talking about players who are on the, the back nine of their career. And you can't count on this team being back. And And I think that that's something, and it's kind of funny that we're talking about this because a team against, they're playing against is almost exactly the same team that won the Stanley Cup a year ago. Almost like, you know, there's and, 21 and guys. Two years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird to say that, that, oh, you have to play like you might not, get there again and yet they're playing a team that literally got there again so it's it's kind of it's kind of ironic in that sense but but it's true more team there's more teams like Montreal than there are like Tampa and and this is the first time that a defending Stanley Cup champion has made the final since uh you know in 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 five years I think Mm, and uh and and then you know before that it was another you know nine years or or so so you know it's it doesn't happen very often. So yeah, it is, it is a struggle where the, the defending champion uh, can go back or even the, the finalist can go back to the Stanley cup final. So it's especially in the cap era, Yeah, especially, yeah, especially in the cap era. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but yeah, it Montreal deserves to be here right now. And who knows what we're talking about in, in a week from now. And no one can really say that the North, was weak
0: anymore i was thinking about that before like maybe it was just that the north was more even than the other uh divisions but because if you look at it ottawa had a a nice run at the end of the season we know that calgary and vancouver were they were good teams last year and they were just underperforming this year and if you look at it i think the the last place team was vancouver right and they have the ninth spot in the draft so We really didn't have that kind of Buffalo esque, um, you know, just uh, punching bag in the division, but everyone could actually beat everyone, not in the same sense, but it was still maybe the North was just, it didn't have the, um, well, these really terrible teams. Um, I I think that,
3: I'm not sure if I remember correctly, but I think I did a top bottom where I compared the top teams' points with the bottom team points. And I think the North was the, closest one overall and, yep. and i think that is maybe important to as you pointed out as well anton to remember that it, it really was a very even uh more even it wasn't an even but but it was a more even than than we thought when you compared the divisions between each other um, yeah, I, mean, I mean every
2: division has the same number of points to give out right yeah you know take give or take the three-point games in overtime right but every division had they, no, no one played against other teams so if you compare it by how teams did outside their division the north looks pretty good because they beat the west in six games whereas the other divisions went seven right so uh, those, those are the only interdivision <laughs> battles we have we don't have anything else so but i mean yeah i mean if one team wins a lot of games like colorado and vegas did then you're going to have teams that lose a lot of games. It, it, it's just math. That's just, just how it works. So, you know, if if you have the top teams, you also have the worst team. So yeah, yeah it, it's it, it's yeah, that, it never really made sense, especially this year. I mean, if Montreal went out in four, then yes, you had that argument. But they didn't. So we still have to talk about it. I guess
3: <laughs> you have listened to absent-minded with Patrick Bexel, uh Anton Roskold, and Darren.